According to the Pew Research Center, 3 in 10 U.S. adults say they've used a dating app, with Tinder, Match, and Bumble being the apps most likely to have been tried. Pew's research has also found that 1 in 10 partnered adults in the U.S. met their significant other on a dating app or site. Dating app success is a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. Our guest today is Liesl Sharavi. Sharavi studies the data science of love including the ways that algorithms and artificial intelligence help to facilitate intimate relationships. She's written about matchmaking algorithms for the Harvard Data Science Review and discussed their use in online dating with media outlets like Time, Wired, and The Wall Street Journal. Shrabi is currently an associate professor in the Hugh Downs School of Human Communication and director of the Relationships and Technology Lab at Arizona State University. Liesl, thank you so much for joining us today. Today. It's wonderful to be here. How did you get started in in studying dating apps? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been this shift that's happened over the past couple of decades where if you're interested in romantic relationships and interested in people's decisions in terms of how they're selecting partners, how they're forming relationships, it's only natural that you're going to gravitate towards the dating app space because it's just how so many people are are doing these things today. Liesl, you you had recently contributed an article, Finding Love on a First Date, Matching Algorithms in Online Dating, that, that appeared in the Harvard Data Science Review. Uh, what 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 kind of was the, the the purpose of this piece? What inspired you to do this? Yeah, so in this piece, I wanted to look a little bit at the history of matchmaking and online dating and how some of these matchmaking systems have progressed over the years. And so looking at at how far we've come, starting from some of the first online dating sites that were very much oriented around profiles and people going through and, and finding partners they were interested in and having to narrow the pool themselves, all the way up until what we have now, which are dating apps where you have algorithms that are trying to figure out people's tastes and make recommendations based on their swiping behaviors. You know, one thing that 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 struck me, it, it, you know, I, I confess to not using this data app. And if I did any other confession, my wife would kill me. Uh, that's just, <laughs> um, so, so I, you know, as I was as I was looking at this, I saw saw that some of the apps have a self selection component, and others have algorithmic selection when you're thinking about mm-hmm. pairings and partnerings. And and you know, I guess maybe I knew that, but I didn't really know that. So, could you talk about that difference between self selection versus algorithmic selection? Yeah, so I think it helps to look a little bit at the history of online dating and where we've been and sort of how we've arrived at this point. So historically, the way a lot of these algorithms worked was that they very much relied on self-report data. So having the user, you know, tell the platform, this is what I'm looking for, this is who I am, and then they would kind of go out and try to find it. But the problem with that is that we know that people aren't always such good judges of what they're going to find attractive in person. So if you do actually deliver on what it is they're looking for, it's no guarantee that that's actually going to work out for them. 
So more recently, just within the past 10 years in the shift to mobile dating, a lot of these apps have started looking more at ways that they can infer what people are looking for from their behavior. And so instead of having them self-report their preferences, they're trying to arrive at that judgment based on how people are swiping through profiles. I So, John, unlike you, I actually have experience with dating apps. When I was in college, I, after a very nasty breakup, attempted to try Match and went on two very unsuccessful dates because they were individuals that seemed great until I showed up in person and they were not great. And then I did not ever use them again. But when I was in grad school, I remember being at a conference and the young woman across from me at a poster session was talking with us about Tinder. I think she had done some research on Tinder. And my co-author and I were like asking her all of these questions about it. And we were fascinated by the way she was just sort of flipping through. And I'm like, that, and like, and suddenly like, there'd be a match that would pop up. And I'm like, how is that happening? Like, it's, what is happening with these algorithms? Like, that's what I'm so, I'm, I'm so fascinated by like what is it what is going on with these algorithms that it's sort of as you're swiping through like something is dinging and like you're matching I mean part of it is that you're ahead of a lot of people in the sense that you know that there's an algorithm that's determining what recommendations you're getting and I think some people think that especially on dating apps it's location based so you're seeing everybody in your vicinity and that's not necessarily true so there are algorithms working behind the scenes to try to narrow that dating pool down And so the way that a lot of dating apps are doing this is using something called collaborative filtering, which is essentially making recommendations based on users who appear to have similar taste. So if you have two people, person A and person B in there, swiping on the same types of profiles, you know, the next person that person A swipes on might be recommended to person B as a possible match because it's essentially saying, okay, you seem to like the same types of partners. And so whoever they swipe on next could be a good recommendation for you. And so this is the same kind of technology that you see on other platforms. I mean, it's how Amazon recommends products. It's how Netflix recommends movies where it doesn't necessarily have to know a lot about you in order to start making inferences about the types of partners that you might be attracted to. You know, one thing that, that is, we'll start talking a little bit about the study and some of the work that you've been doing in this, that, that this idea that whether you think it's going to work may matter about whether it works. And I, yes. I, you know, coming from a background that that had a lot, you know, biostatistical background, talking about a lot about the placebo effect. I thought, I wonder if this is like that. And then later on in your paper, you you describe that. So could could you sort of help set the stage for the kinds of questions that that you wanted to answer with some of the work that you've done? Yeah, and so these dating apps, online dating sites, really vary in terms of how central the algorithm is to what they're doing. And on some platforms, if you're using it, it would be really hard to not know that there was an algorithm making recommendations because it's it's part of their marketing and it's part of their advertising. Like I think of the eHarmony algorithm, for example, or OkCupid, where it's essentially what people sign up for. It's what they pay more money for. And so they're very mindful of the fact that it is part of what is causing them to see certain partners show up as, as recommendations. And so in doing that and in making the algorithm so central to what some of these platforms do, they're essentially creating high expectations. And some people, I think, really buy into that idea that an algorithm is going to be a better judge of compatibility than they are. And some of my research has shown that 
to the extent that you do believe that, you tend to have better outcomes. So the belief system behind it can be incredibly powerful. Yeah. So you were talking about some of these things that the one that really cracked me up was the ELO scores. Yeah, so I'd, I'd heard about this some from chess and rankings of chess, but but the idea that there could be the equivalent for matchmaking based on you know I don't know a grandmaster and I don't <laughs> in love I don't you know what <laughs> what is that? Yeah, so in chess these scores are essentially you're getting a score based on your wins and losses, based on how skilled your um, opponents are, and dating apps have started incorporating some of that scoring into their own recommendation system. So when somebody swipes right on you to indicate that they're interested, that is essentially, you know, helping boost your score. When they swipe left to reject, then, you know, that would be decreasing it. And it also depends on who's doing the swiping. So somebody who has a higher rating who's swiping right to indicate interest would also do more to enhance your score. So essentially what some of these platforms have been trying to do is figure out what your desirability level is in order to use that to then make recommendations. And the reason that they're doing this is because they're also interested in reciprocity. It's not enough to know that I'm interested in someone. We also have to have some indication that that person would be interested in me in return. And so they're trying to find different ways of going about gathering that information. As I was listening to you, so as someone who is in the site, who is sort of on the market, if you get matched more often, do you get like a higher ranking or you're it's like a five star rating, like an Uber or something like I don't like how is desirability yeah. like measured in these spaces? Yeah. And I mean, it's a tough question to answer because with with all of this, the algorithms are proprietary and platforms tend to be incredibly secretive about how they're actually going about matching people. And some of that is because of pushback they've received in the past where people don't necessarily like the idea that they're getting a desirability rating that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And so we can we can speculate about what they're doing, but it's hard to know for sure, with the exception of platforms that have been more public about how they actually go about this process. But to your point, I mean, I think it stands to reason that they're looking at how many swipes you're getting, and they're also looking at who's doing that swiping to try to get a sense of of where you fit into their dating pool and the types of partners that they should be showing you. So so I want to follow up on, on one of the points that Rosemary was making about just trying to measure things. I mean, just trying to measure attraction, anticipated future interactions, disclosures, partner selections, uncertainty. You know, how, what are, can you talk a little bit about how do you decide on kind of what are some of the important predictors and then ultimately, given some of that, that decision and identification, how, how might you go about actually measuring them? Yeah, this is a really great question. And the way a lot of platforms are doing this is by looking at matching rates and looking at messaging rates. So how many matches are you getting? How many messages are you exchanging? And then they're looking at the number of messages exchanged as an indication of whether you were interested enough to actually have a conversation. So when it comes to the platforms, their metrics of success are primarily based on what you are actually doing on the platform, because that's the data that they have access to. I think another important marker of success is what happens after you actually meet a person. And that's where their data becomes more limited because they don't necessarily know. And so 
in my research, things that I've been looking at are, you know, how attracted were you to someone after you actually met them face to face? Did you want to see them for a second date? Were you interested in pursuing the relationship? So getting some self-report data from them beyond just knowing, you know, how many times they message somebody on the platform, because a lot of times those messaging exchanges never actually lead to a date. And if they do, they don't necessarily lead to a relationship. And so I think that, you know, people have different motivations for using online dating. Of course, not everyone is looking for something serious or long term. But I think that for the most part, people are looking to to have a good first date, to meet somebody face to face who they're interested in. And so I've been trying to look more at those outcomes as a metric of success. You're listening to Stats and Stories. And today we're talking with ASU's Liesl Sharabi about the data science of online love. We've been sort of talking around this, but actually, what are you doing when you're studying this? If the algorithms are black boxed in many ways, how can you really go about studying how successful they are? Yeah. And so that's part of what's led me to look at people's perceptions. I mean, without a platform telling you specifically how their algorithm works, it's very difficult to actually test its effectiveness. And so there are scholars who have been trying to determine whether it's even possible that an algorithm would be able to predict compatibility based on the inputs that we're assuming they have. But at the end of the day, it's it's really difficult to know for sure without knowing what they're doing. But something that we can look at would be people's perceptions of the process, people's expectations of what compatibility and matching is capable of, and then looking at how that affects their behavior and some of their long-term relationship outcomes. One of the things that I've, I've found pretty interesting is, is uh, things like housing at university has changed. There's, there's compatibility matching now among roommates. You know, that's, mm-hmm. there, there's often this kind of algorithmic matching or suggestions for matching among, among students going to campuses that haven't, haven't identified in advance someone that they'd want to, to share a space with. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if there's, there's data that, that I would think would be really interesting about whether or not matchings worked. You know, at the end yeah. of a year, you know, I despise this person. <laughs> I wanted to throttle them at least halfway through. Oh, I guess that that algorithm prediction wasn't so hot. I mean, there there seems like there's a way to do a little bit of validation that without the same kind of, of, of protection of proprietary information that you see in some of the dating apps. Do you, do you see any possible kind of uh, kind of sort of external validation in this other kind of matching context? It's not romance, but it's certainly it's it's collegiality or congeniality. Yeah, definitely. And something else that I think is so interesting about studying recommendation systems and online dating is that they do have implications for all of these other situations where matchmaking is happening. So it's happening with roommates, um, college campuses. It's happening. I mean, I've I've read papers where they're using OkCupid's algorithm to do rare disease matching. So they're using it in medical settings to try to identify people with similar types of symptoms. Um, I've heard about eHermes algorithm being used in job searches and trying to match prospective employees with employers. So there are all of these other situations where you have a large pool of people and you're trying to narrow it down and you're trying to you know, deliver recommendations even beyond the dating context. So, I mean, we all want to find love. We all want relationships. And so I think that in itself is important. But also, if we can get the matchmaking part of this right, I do think there are implications for so many other areas where, where these kinds of processes play out. 
these companies often have their own internal data and studies that they're doing. I wonder, have any have has there been any response from these companies to the work that you and others have been doing on how successful they are? Yeah, I mean, not not that I'm aware of. I think a lot of platforms try to avoid these types of conversations, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Um, there's no upside. Think, there's no upside, no. And I mean, part of it, too, is that the more actual users are aware of how the matchmaking system is operating, the better position they are to try to game the system. And you hear about people doing this as well, where they try to figure out how these recommendations are being made, and then they do things to try to manipulate the system. And when you have people doing that, that also creates problems, both for them and also just for the system more broadly. And so there are some valid reasons as well as to why they wouldn't want to be incredibly public about how they're going about this. So as you've been doing this work, I imagine there have been some things that's really surprised you that, that, you know, I didn't expect that. Maybe there's some things that validated what you had expected going in. But I'm curious about the surprises possibly that have emerged in doing this work. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest surprises and and what really led me down this path in studying recommendation systems is how important people's perceptions are to their experiences in online dating. And I think this is significant when you think about the impact that these algorithms are having on people's lives, like the decision, you know, the choice of a romantic partner is one of the most important decisions, arguably, a person would ever make that's going to be a life partner, someone, you know, who's going to be really central to to their experiences moving forward. And you have algorithms that are essentially driving some of those decisions and I've had participants in some of my studies tell me about how much importance they've placed on those recommendations in terms of whether they decided to pursue a relationship with someone or not. And I think that's really noteworthy, especially when we're having this conversation about whether an algorithm you know, can even make those kinds of recommendations effectively. But when people think that it can, it, it really does shape their lives in significant ways. Are, are there certain... Characteristics of for people of why they select certain online dating tools. I mean, so yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about what? How do people select certain tools, or what? Maybe it's it's not it's not completely exclusive, but they're sort of why why do why are people gravitated to one towards one versus mm-hmm. another? I mean, this is also part of what makes it so difficult to study how effective their algorithms are, because there's also the selection effect that happens where people gravitate towards some platforms as opposed to others because they're looking for certain types of relationships. So there's some platforms that are very much marketed towards people that are looking for long-term commitments. So you can imagine that the people that are signing up to use them are also going to be more motivated to make relationship work. So is it that the algorithm works or is it that those people were just more motivated to find a relationship in the first place? So that's also a tricky part of all of this. And then to add to that, a lot of people also aren't just using one platform. They are on multiple platforms simultaneously. And so sometimes they're seeing the same types of partners. And so that adds another layer of complexity. But I kind of, I think about dating apps as just, a modern version of a singles bar where each one has its own culture, it attracts its own certain type of crowd. And so people kind of hop from one to another based on what they're in the mood for and what they're looking for. 
this is coming out right before Valentine's Day. I wonder, you know, I'm sure that we are going to be able to turn on the TV or open the newspaper and see countless articles about love and relationships. And I'm sure there'll be some about these apps. I wonder what advice you would have for people who are going to come across these news stories about dating apps. Like, what should they be careful of? What they should they be watching for um, to and be able to judge whether the, the news story is sort of legit or it's it's or the reporters done their due diligence and not just sort of cheerleading for another app? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a large literature around online dating. There's a lot of research that's been done on these platforms. And so I think we're at a point where there is some scientific evidence driving some of the claims that you're seeing in news stories about what's effective for people and what's not. The biggest piece of advice that I would have for people is, you know, if you want to improve your recommendations, if you don't like the matches that you're getting, one of the best things that you can do is pay attention to your profile because that's really what it all comes down to, especially when we're talking about apps where they are making inferences based on how people are swiping because the profile just drives everything. It drives who is swiping on you. It drives how many swipes you're getting. And so I think some people think, okay, I need to game the system. I need to figure out what they're doing and I need to try to beat it. That's going to be a tough game to win without really, you know, having insider knowledge. So I think a better approach is to try to figure out how can I adjust my profile to attract the types of partners that I think I would be interested in and also being mindful of like, is this a good representation of me? if I were to actually meet somebody face to face, because there's also this tendency to kind of exaggerate sometimes. And that might get you lots of matches, but it's not going to get you a lot of second dates. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you study online dating apps? What are sort of the, what are, give an example, if you could, of a strategy or a, a, a type of study that you've done where you're trying to evaluate kind of performance of, of such systems? Yeah, I mean, one way that you can study them is obviously by asking people about their experiences, which can be a little bit biased, of course. Another way that you can study them is by actually looking at people's behaviors on the platform. And I think that's something else that's really interesting about the online dating context is that these platforms have so much data. And increasingly, people are having the ability to gain access to some of that data. So on some of these apps, you can download your data, you're able to access it, so that information can be used in research. Also, messaging exchanges. I mean, we have a record now of how people are initiating relationships from the moment they first make contact with someone all the way up to the point where they've actually formed a relationship. And it's just sitting there waiting for people like me to analyze it. And so this this digital trace data that people are leaving behind every time they interact on the platform, I think that has huge potential for changing how we study relationships and for helping us gain insight into what attracts people to each other. I, as I was thinking about this, I was imagining kind of different trajectories for, for people that have sort of different characteristics coming in. You know, sort of depending on the age in which you first encountered the system or start using a system, whether you had been, you know, your marital status prior to this, maybe you'd been married before, maybe not, maybe divorced, maybe widowed, you know, what what kind of, uh, it seems like there's a lot of potential strata, cohorts that, that might interact with these online systems differently. Do you, do yeah. you, have you, have you, 
gotten any insights about how how whether some of these the online systems work well for certain subgroups of the population, but maybe not as well for others, it, it, based on some of the definitions of how you've given of working well, like successful first date, yeah. ongoing second date, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think at minimum they work differently. So when you look at people who are under the age of 30, about half of them use dating apps. So dating apps are incredibly popular among young people. And something that's different with them is that they've grown up with the technology. It's always been part of their dating experience, which for me at least is kind of crazy to think about that we have people in their early 20s who have maybe never had a relationship with someone that they did not meet through a dating app or through social media because this is just always how things have been done. And then you compare that to somebody who's a little bit older who maybe has had relationships before that didn't work out with people that they met face-to-face and now they're trying to jump back into the dating pool and everything has changed. And, you know, online dating, it's it's a whole new thing for them. And they have to reorient to, to how people are using these platforms and some of the norms and expectations. And so I think that can be difficult for people and it can lead to differences potentially in how they're using these platforms. So, yeah, I don't necessarily know if that means that one group would be more effective, but but I do think that we could expect that there would be differences in use for sure. These technologies have certainly changed. I mean, since I can, you know, have been an adult and thinking of like matches, essentially like replication of, of dating ads and newspapers right online with just photos to like eHarmony's matching algorithm thing, which I remember being like this big, big thing, right? Oh, suddenly this is why we're different. And then to like things like Tinder and Grindr, which is just like swiping really quickly. Given the work that you've been doing, I wonder what do you think is kind of the next big tech development that's going to be coming down the pipe when it comes to dating technologies? Yeah, I mean, the last big shift happened about 10 years ago, and that was when we went from online dating sites to mobile dating apps. And not a lot has changed since then up until now. And I think that now we're at this really pivotal moment in online dating because of AI. And I think that has the potential to change everything from the matchmaking systems to how people actually engage with these platforms. And there are some startups that are doing some really interesting things with AI There's one in particular that is having people train AI chatbots to represent them. So training them on their personality and then sending them out to interact with other chatbots and essentially go on a bunch of virtual first dates and then come back and tell you, okay, these are the people who you might be interested in. So instead of you sitting there swiping through profiles, you have your AI out there going on dates with other chatbots. And I mean, I think that kind of thing, it raises a lot of questions with one of the biggest being, how do you actually train AI to represent you? And is that going to be an accurate uh, simulation? But I also think there's a lot of possibility there for changing the experience and making it so you're spending less time swiping and more time actually going out there and meeting people in person. Like it, it seems like the more technology advances, the more it kind of takes us back in some ways to face-to-face interaction. And I'm hoping that's the direction that that would lead. Uh, But it's interesting to see some of the things that they're doing with AI currently. I met my husband in a bar at a at a concert, and I can't imagine like having a chat bot going out. That's just so incredible to me. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Liesl, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Liesl. Thank you. 
Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. Thanks.